You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and other guests discuss primary care issues that are on their minds and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and today I'm talking about smart therapy for asthma. Joining me is Dr. Tyra Bryant-Stevens, who's a primary care pediatrician, the medical director and founder of the Community Asthma Prevention Program, and the chief health equity officer, also with me at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Bryant-Stevens. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So let's start with a little introduction of why we're talking about this. In 2020, the NHLBI released a guideline update that included single maintenance and reliever therapy, or SMART. This includes daily and as needed inhaled corticosteroid and formorterol combination, such as mometasone formorterol or Dulera and budesonide formorterol Symbicort. So before we even start going through the nitty-gritty of these guidelines and what's new. Can you start with just telling me who is eligible for SMART before we even talk about what it is? Sure. So any child over the age of five uh, is eligible for SMART. And these are children who are usually on step three therapy, meaning they started out step one as the guidelines uh, mentioned as short acting beta agonists. Uh, Step two is daily low-dose inhaled corticosteroid with PRN, short-acting beta agonist. And then step three is SMART. So these are children who have failed the low-dose inhaled corticosteroid. Right. So maybe someone who was on Flovent every day with albuterol for rescue over the age of five who's still poorly controlled. Is that about a good sense of who we're talking about? Yeah. And I would say, you know, low-dose Flovent. So many times in the past, we've done Flovent 110 to puffs twice a day, which is actually medium dose. And so we're talking about children who fail Flovent 44, mice two puffs twice a day, for example. Okay, so children five and up, we assess that their asthma control is not well controlled and we're considering stepping up to SMART. So help us review first, what are some of the signs and symptoms of not being well controlled? Sure. So one of the most sensitive signs is really nighttime symptoms in between flares. It's important when we assess control, we think about in between flares. Obviously, if someone's in the middle of a flare, they're not controlled at that moment. Mm-hmm. So I typically ask about nighttime coughing, and there's different intensities of nighttime coughing. There's the nighttime coughing that they sleep through. There's a the nighttime coughing where they wake up, and there's a nighttime coughing where they wake up and need a short-acting beta agonist. And so the sensitivity of the nighttime symptoms more than twice a month is number one. Also, if you have a child who's using their albuterol more than twice a week, or a child who needs more than two albuterol refills in a year, and many people think that that's a little bit, but if you think about this 400 doses, and that really averages to needing albuterol every day. So we want to make sure that we are not using that as our daily control, but using inhaled corticosteroids as our daily control medication. Right. And I find that checking in that families know the function of albuterol and when they're supposed to be using it is really important. 
Absolutely. And the nice thing about SMART is that Fomoterol, which is a long-acting beta agonist, also has a quick onset. So other combo medication that includes Salmeterol as a long-acting beta agonist is not, unfortunately, is not quick-acting. So they will not get the same sense of relief that they get from albuterol. So it's important to point out that you would either use Delera or Simbacort to use the product names for this. Right. And that's a really important point since we're using them a little bit differently with SMART than we're used to using previously. So Mm -hmm. I find the easiest way to think through this to use some cases. So let's practice SMART with a case example. So a five-year-old patient has frequent flares in the setting of viral URIs and exercise and reports nightly symptoms most days and coughing with exercise twice a week. Using my asthma control tool, I determine that he has moderate persistent asthma that's poorly controlled. He's currently using Flovent 110 BID with albuterol as needed. So how do I convert him from this regimen to SMART? Yes, this is a yeah, case of a child who's adherent using Flovin. So we know that he's not controlled with this. And you would go to step three, and step three would be, I guess, mometasone budesonide with Fomoterol. And the way that I presented to the families is that, okay, we're going to increase his therapy because he's not controlled, but we're going to make it easier for you to keep his asthma under control by giving you only one medication one thing to think about and one medication to use for daytime as well as when he has symptoms. So the recommendation from the guidelines is that, you know, you would start with a low-dose inhalocorticosteroid from Motorol. And that's certainly up to the provider where they start low-dose or medium-dose. I think in this child who is five, I would start with the low-dose because we're really thinking about cumulative inhalocorticosteroid dose. And the studies show that you can switch from medium-dose steroids to low-dose inhalocorticosteroid plus formoterol and get a better control of asthma. So if I'm switching him to a single smart medication like Dulera or Simbacort, does he ever need his albuterol? And tell me about what happens then when he flares. The studies show that this is effective for when he has flares. So in children who are less than 12, it's up to eight puffs. And to children over 12, is up to 12 puffs. I would say the way I transition, because, you know, this is all about shared decision-making and, and talking to families as we take them through this transition. What I say to them is he should not need his albuterol at all. I understand you not being comfortable with this right now because we're doing something totally different. So what I want you to do is, is to take the albuterol and put it in a drawer or a cabinet, whatever, and so that you know that you have it if you really need it, but we really don't expect you to need it. If you think you need that, you've used your up to eight puffs, and you still think he needs more medication, he really needs to be seen at that point. So please call the office, or if you think it's urgent, go to emergency room, and we will probably need to give him oral steroids at that point. And then what about the exercise-induced symptoms? Can they still use their Dolera or Simbacort before exercise, the same way we used to say about using your albuterol and taking two puffs before exercise? Yeah, so the guidelines are not specific with that. I will say talking to folks who have been using, in Europe, they've been using SMART for a decade. And 
they do use it for exercise pre-treatment. And that's what I suggest, that if they are taking their two puffs of, let's just say, Simbacort in the morning, and they know that they have a basketball game or soccer or track, whatever, in the after school, then they should take probably at least one puff. I usually say one puff of their smart inhaler prior to exercise and then take their evening dose. Okay, great. Now, you and I both have a lot of patients in primary care who have asthma and have received lots of asthma teaching over the years. And we really spent a lot of time focusing on teaching families about the difference between their maintenance inhaler and their rescue inhaler. But now having one inhaler for both goes against a lot of the teaching that we did previously. And some of our really experienced and savvy families may be confused by these newer guidelines. So can you tell me how you've been explaining this to those patients? Sure. And I think, again, this is where it becomes shared decision making. And so what I typically say to parents is that, you know, it's been really tough keeping them straight. And and you and I both know that we have patients who use their Flovent for flares and their albuterol every day. Mm -hmm. Like we see that all the time. It's been really tough keeping that straight. You no longer have to think about which medication do I use for what. It's now a one pump plan. One of the families of one of our colleagues came up with that quote, one pump plan. But it is. It's just one inhaler for everything. You no longer have to say, is this the orange one? Is this the blue one? It's just one inhaler. So this is actually simplifying your life, I hope. If a parent is like my child's really well controlled, they do what they've always done, then I'm not going to touch them unless the parent wants to do it. Mm-hmm. I would say, here's an option. It's totally up to you. But if a child is not controlled, then I'm going to really ask the parent to give it a trial to keep the albuterol in the drawer or wherever they keep it and really give this a trial and see them back in a month and see what happened. Now let's talk some of the logistics for us as primary care doctors. How do we write a prescription for SMART so that patients have enough of their inhaler for both their maintenance and their flares, as well as for home and school? Writing the prescription is not the hard part, but I'll tell you how to write the prescription. (laughs) Getting it filled is the hard part. But the way that I write it is two puffs twice a day, daily, and use PRN up to eight puffs if they're less than 12, up to 12 puffs if they're over 12. And then I write dispense one for home and one for school. That actually has worked for me on some occasions. Some occasions it does, and it really does depend on the insurer. So I unfortunately can't say that this always works, but that's what I typically try. And then the second thing I will do is let them know that they can get a refill at 25 days, not 30 days. And so if you think about it, if a child has one flare that only lasts a couple of days, they should have enough for 25 days. Mm-hmm. And so I'll tell them every 25 days, I want you to go get a refill till you have an extra inhaler. Mm-hmm. So that's another trick I do. And then third, we all know about prior authorization. So I always submit a prior authorization form, even as I'm starting this process and hope that between the three of those, you know, kind of strategies, we get them the medication they need. I will say that my experience has been that we've been able to actually do it. It does take, unfortunately, right now, a little bit of wheeling and dealing, but we have been able to get the medication. And really, if you think about it, 
if smart, and I believe it does, is going to make them better control, mm -hmm. hopefully in two to three months, you're not even worried about them needing it during flares, in which case it will last all the time. And then the last trick I will tell you is, and this is probably the easiest one, it's probably the one I should have started with. Most children are starting on low-dose inhaled corticosteroids. So I will prescribe them 160 instead of, for example, for for Simbacort, 160 instead of 80 and just have them take one puff twice a day. So they're getting the same as they would get two puffs with the 80 and then they'll have plenty for flares. I will say that a couple of the pharmacies have called me on that and said, oh, there are only five and you shouldn't be prescribing this. And I just say, nope, they need it this way. <laughs> and so um, I guess it's gone through because they haven't called me back. But I have had a couple of pharmacists worried about the dose. But when I point to them that it's the same amount, it's just a higher concentration, they usually let it go. Well, I like those insider tips. So thank you for that. So what's your experience been with your patients in primary care? What benefits have you seen from using SMART? Well, the first thing I see is that there's no confusion with rescue and controller, which is mm -hmm. the biggest thing. Right. I've had parents come to me amazed at how much better their child is doing. They didn't really believe it was going to work. These are all children who were not controlled when I put them on SMART. But I have had several patients come to me or parents come to me and say, I'm surprised this works. He's doing great. I love it. And so I've really had, you know, maybe one parent who did not like it. And she just really was uncomfortable with not having albuterol. So I said, fine, we'll do two puffs twice a day for the, you know, for the Simbacort. And then we'll use albuterol PRN. But my recommendation is that you would go to SMART. You would stay on SMART. Mm -hmm. But again, both will work. SMART works better. There was some new research published in the British Medical Journal recently talking about steroid meds linked to changes in brain white and gray matter. Is that a concern that you have about kids who are on long-term inhaled steroid use? Well, of course, we don't want children on medications that they don't need. We do know that since we've started in steroids, the need for oral steroids has gone way down. And obviously, for growth for children, it's important that we don't suppress their adrenal hormones and subsequently their growth. So first of all, just saying that. Secondly, I always talk about optimizing the medication by uh, following closely and getting to the smallest amount that a child needs to control their asthma. I think there are other things that we can do to work towards that, right? We can think about their environment. We can think about really being in control of their allergies, their upper airways, because we know that upper airways, allergic symptoms can trigger asthma symptoms. So there are ways that we can really minimize the medication they need. However, I think long-term, if a child's having trouble breathing, they're going to have consequences in terms of cognition, et cetera, from having low oxygen saturation. So, I mean, definitely we always walk this balance in medicine of getting the best benefit with the least side effects. And I think that's true for asthma as well. And the one thing that we've learned over the years is that asthma is not a cookie cutter disease, which, you know, can be a little bit of an eye opener for primary care providers because it's much simpler if we think of it as one size fits all, but the reality is that's not the case. Mm -hmm. And so we have to take each child, their environment, the social determinants of health into account as we think about you know, how best to treat them. So the, what the guidelines offer is a way to think about it from a clinical and medical 
perspective as you advance treatment, but I think we also have to use our own primary care expertise in thinking about the whole child and and really trying to minimize any impact of any medication we give them. Those are great points. Thank you for talking about that balance. And we've been talking about stepping up therapy, but as you mentioned, we also step down when children are doing well with their asthma, and that's another part to this. Now, SMART is new to many of us, and it can be hard to stay up to date with guidelines and readjust your practices to something that's new like this. So are there any resources that you recommend to primary care providers who want to get more comfortable with SMART? We have on our website, so it's www.chop.edu slash CAPP, a lecture that was done by one of the original researches for SMART that was done in 2021. And I think that's really uh, helpful to really understand kind of where did all this start, what's the data. But in addition to that, we have a one-pager that really talks about how you prescribe SMART and, and what that looks like. And that's something that we can also share with folks. And then I think in terms of your day-to-day thinking about this, our pathway, if you just search Google CHOP Asthma Clinical Pathway for Outpatient, you'll find the one that says known asthma really takes you to exactly how you think about it in terms of age, in terms of medication, in terms of stepping up and stepping down, education and follow-up. So that's where you get everything. And we have lots of links on there also for further education. I love that pathway. So yes, thank you for pointing that out. And thank you so much for talking to us today about SMART and keeping us up to date with our asthma care for our patients at CHOP Primary Care. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash PCP podcast for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat.